If you saw this book on your way in, it was on a counter at the Welcome Center. And if you are here with us for the first time tonight or you just have never picked one up, there are still a number of copies out there and we would love for you to take that home with us. We've been reading through uh, this book together as a church family. And tonight as we celebrate our final Advent service, we look forward to tomorrow being Christmas Day. We've been talking about a Christmas playlist Songs from the familiar Gospel of Luke, while they are familiar songs of praise in Scripture, they're not ones that we sing often in church. But each one of these songs are there. They're songs of praise from individuals who were impacted by the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. These songs of praise are there causing us to stop and think. They're meant to challenge us. They're meant to change us as we have asked and answered four important questions about Christmas. So our church family that's been with us for the last couple of weeks, this is going to be a quick review, but for those of you that are new with us tonight, we answered four questions from the Gospel of Luke. The first one is, what is God like? And in Mary's song, we heard that God knows you, God cares about you, God makes promises to you, and God acts to help you. If you missed any of these earlier messages, you can find them. Uh, those of you that might be watching with us online, you can go to our YouTube channel, which is at Dunkirk Baptist, or our church website, which is dunkirkbaptist.org. It has all of the previous sermons, so you can catch up with those. But we answered the question, what is God like? And we saw that He is personal, He is knowable, He knows us, and He wants us to know Him. And then in Zechariah's song, we answered the question, why do we need God? And this question is the core to Christmas. Why do we even celebrate Christmas? It's the coming of the Son of God. Well, why did we need Him to come? Jesus Christ came to visit his people. He came to live in the neighborhood, to free people from their sin, to redeem us from slavery to sin, to bring peace on earth between God and mankind. And most importantly, we need God because personally, individually, we can't pay the awesome penalty for our own sin. In the glorious song of the angels, we answered the question, how did God come? The way God came was proclaimed to a very small group of people, the shepherds. They were the least important. They were the least likely audience. They were the people that were looked down on in their society. But God chose the humble people, overlooked by others, but the people who would look for him. And he still does that today. He finds people who are humble in heart, wanting to know him, and he reveals himself to them. Jesus was born to an unknown young girl named Mary. He was born in an animal stable, and he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough, because there was no room for them in the inn, and he had no cradle to lay in. Instead of being born in a royal palace, Jesus was born in the little town of Bethlehem, but that was also God's planning because Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. 
And Jesus was part of that kingly line. God was fulfilling all of the ancient prophecies of the promised Messiah, the Redeemer, and the Savior of the world. He arrived in very unusual way, but God told the people of that day that he was here. And then we finally saw, how did God do it? How would God save his people? This past Sunday, in Zechariah's song, we saw how God would accomplish this amazing redemption plan that he had planned out from the beginning of time. How would God offer salvation to his people? How would he offer forgiveness and a full payment of sins for the world? He sent his own son to die in your place, in my place, to make the penalty, the payment for our sins. And it was with his own blood, his own life. He made the supreme sacrifice for you and for me. And he did all of this because of his unbelievable, unconditional, redeeming love for you and for me. During our first winter here in Dunkirk, my family went down to the lake to look at the amazing ice formations. And some of you may recognize that young girl out on the ice. The lake looked totally frozen. The ice was, of course, piling up on itself and looks really awesome. And so, being the dad that I am, I said, let's go out on the lake. So we walked out, and you can see Grace is pretty far out there. And being probably twice her size, I followed. And I found out that that ice that looked pretty solid and pretty thick wasn't. I was quickly past my knees in icy, cold water. And thankfully, it was still shallow where we were. So I was able to step up with boots full of icy, cold water. And for the rest of the afternoon and the ride home, I knew how cold the water gets below the ice in Lake Erie. Thin ice can be tricky because on the surface it looks good, but unless you test it out, you don't know what's beneath you. I had faith in the ice holding me up. It held Grace up. It held up John. It held up Cindy, but not Big Dad. I needed thicker ice to support me. I didn't need more faith in the ice. I didn't need to just believe a little bit harder. I needed ice that was thick enough to hold this thickness. It's not the amount of faith that can save you. It's the foundation or the object of your faith that counts. That's what matters. Do you believe that living a good life will save you? Or maybe your parents or grandparents, their strong faith will save you. While your money can't buy everything, you may be able to buy a lot of things in this world and you may be able to look around you and say, I have everything I could need or everything I want. But not a single coin can buy God's forgiveness and it can't buy peace with God. The central difference between all of the world's religions and Christianity is this. The religions that people have made up over the years say, clean up your act, do what you're told, follow the rules, and maybe, just maybe, God will accept you. The good news, the gospel of Christianity, is that God accepts you because of who Jesus is and because what he has done. And it has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done.
A Christian, then, is someone whose faith is in Jesus Christ and not in ourselves. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why this is such a big deal. This is why this holiday is celebrated around the world. It's why the calendar started over again at the birth of Jesus Christ. Because He alone can save you. So now it's up to you. God offered His Son Jesus as a gift to the world. But you have to accept the gift. You have to open it up, not just know that it's there waiting for you. Some of the kids and even some of the older kids in my house have seen the gifts under the tree and they may have looked and spied to see which ones have their name on it. And they're excited and I get excited about presents too. I don't want to know what I'm getting. I know there are gifts there, but unless I receive it, unless I open it, it never becomes mine. It's just sitting there with my name on it. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. That's the penalty of our sin. Eternal death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Maybe that gift of salvation has been sitting under your Christmas tree since you were a little boy or a little girl. Maybe you feel like you've always known the story of Christmas. You've enjoyed putting out the baby Jesus in your manger scene. And you've enjoyed coming to church and singing the songs. And it all sounds so beautiful. But maybe you've never received that gift for yourself. Or maybe this, this evening was the first time that this has really made sense to you. Maybe it's gotten through to you. If you're ready to accept God's gift of forgiveness, His gift of peace, His gift of love that's unconditional and never-ending, His gift of eternal life, I would love to talk to you after the service. You can take pictures with your family, but I will stay here and talk to you as long as you want to if you're ready to accept that gift tonight. It would become your best Christmas ever. So make sure you stop me out in the lobby or come talk to me afterwards. For our Christmas playlist finale, we have an old Christmas carol from the 1800s. The author Cecil Francis Humphreys Alexander was born in County Wicklow in Ireland, and Grace and Nathan visited there this past uh, fall as they went on their honeymoon. But she was there in 1818. She's gone now, long gone. She was deeply concerned for disadvantaged people. She traveled many miles each day with her sister, visiting the sick and poor, providing food, providing warm clothes, medical supplies, and over 400 hymns and poems from this woman were mostly written for children. But some of them we may recognize, all things bright and beautiful. There is a green hill far away. Jesus calls us o'er the tumult. These are songs that are almost 200 years old, but they're songs that we still sing. The original carol, once in Royal David City, had six verses, but we've shortened our hymns over the years because we just can't stand that long, or maybe we can't sing that long, but many of our hymns were 10, 12 verses long, and they told the whole gospel story. We're going to sing this song, not all six verses, but four important ones. 
I just want you to listen as we sing together for a couple important words. It's number 286 in your hymnal. So if you want to take that out, you can look at the words. You'll notice how often she references Jesus as a child. And she talks about us, his children. Again, she's writing to children because she wants them to know that God loves them. It begins with a historic event. Once in royal David's city. At a time in the past, in the city of Bethlehem, the home of King David, a mother named Mary laid her baby Jesus in a manger. This is a historical event. This actually happened. Secondly, it leads us directly to Jesus' divinity in the second verse. He came down to earth from heaven. He is God and Lord of all. Emmanuel, which means God with us. God visited his people and lived with them. Third, it tells us that he was not only God, but he was human. In the third verse, we read, He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, just like us, he knew. The Son of God came as the Son of Man to experience life as a human with all of the ups and downs, all of the love and rejection, the hope, the pain, all of the things that we experienced, Jesus experienced. And he has compassion for us. And then finally, in the end of the fourth verse, which is where we'll end, it says, he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. Jesus is destined for majesty. Not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by, but we shall see him in heaven seated at God's right hand on high. At Christmas time, often we like to think of baby Jesus and how beautiful that moment looked. But he grew up and he taught and he healed and he cared for people and he laughed and he cried. But then he died. His sinless life was the perfect sacrifice. And as he was beaten and hung on a cross, his blood paid for your sin and mine. It provided the only way to forgiveness, the only way to eternal peace with God.